Our second lesson picks up right after the text we read on Easter. This is the very next story that Dr. Terror preached about last week. So listen for a word from God from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands, and put my finger in the mark of the nails on my hands on his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. For you are the gifter of all good things. We pray this in your name. Amen. When I was 12 and my older brother was 14, we had a job that we did every Sunday. My mother would take us to the career college where she worked. She would drop us off, and we would do basic janitorial duties. My older brother, because he was older, got to work the pressure washer, and so he would pressure wash, while I would take a big black plastic bag and have my Walkman clipped to my shorts, and I would walk the perimeter, picking up all the trash that college students had left behind. Well, we grew up in Tucson where it is hot all the time. And this Sunday, it was particularly sweltering. And we finished our work, but we didn't have cell phones, so we had to just hang out for 30 minutes until my mom arrived. So my older brother came up with the fantastic idea to cool off using the hose to dunk our heads and dunk our shirts under the water. And so we did. And then my older brother had another great idea. He thought, how about I take off my shirt 
roll it up and start whipping my little brother. I was not particularly keen on this second idea. And at this point in our lives, my older brother was about a foot taller and double my weight, so there was no fight or flight, there was only flights. And so I took off running as he continued to lash me, running throughout this career college by ourselves. I started telling this story to my wife last night, and she said, make sure they know that your brother loves you, because this sounds particularly abusive. But as I sprinted, I found the janitorial closet where we kept our things, and I ran inside, and I locked the door, and terror that had covered me released. I had locked the door. I was safe until I heard the jingle of keys, and the lock turned, and the terror resumed. The disciples are living in absolute terror. Terror of the authorities of the day, both their local community leaders, but perhaps bigger than that, definitely bigger than that, they are at odds with the empire of Rome, the rulers of the Western world. Their leader, Jesus, who they had journeyed with, who they had learned from, who they had laughed with, had been executed as a criminal at the hands of the empire. They were his disciples, disciples of a criminal put to death. Surely their death was to follow. Rome was known for its absolute brutality when it came to squashing detractors, to dismantling rebels. No person, no nation escaped the empire. And so the disciples hid. They hid behind locked doors. Now, though this story has many different characters in it, it's really about two people, two characters. The first is the disciples. Now, notice the text doesn't say the 12 disciples. It just says the disciples. This means that this is not just the 12 that followed Jesus, but the, any who remained who were following Jesus. And it's not just the small remnant, but it's us today as followers of Jesus. These disciples who were told in the previous verse, which we read on Easter, that Mary had seen the risen Lord. And what do they do? They hide themselves. It never actually says they believe Mary's testimony, her witness. Friends, we are these disciples. Thomas, one of the disciples, does not get to have that first experience of the risen Lord. He doesn't get to experience the breath of Jesus, the gift of peace. So he is adversarial. He demands an experience with the risen Lord. He considers possibilities, he questions, he doubts. He also sits on the outside of the community. They all had this incredible experience, but Thomas missed out. He feels left out. He is a disciple, and friends, we are these disciples. 
And church, just as the disciples did, we too place our security in walls and doors and locks. We place security in the places where we hide. We feel like outsiders when others get to have an experience that we did not and were jealous of. In our natural state of being, we are fearful. Fearful at how others might see us, how we may be viewed if we lived out the absurdity of the gospel, the radical kindness that we're called to, the steadfast love that we're beckoned towards, the unbelievable good news that just as Jesus' resurrection changed lives then, it changes lives now. Terror may grip us, so we hide behind locked doors. We put up walls and relationships where we fear we may be hurt or embarrassed, we lock out those who are different than we are. Friends, we are these disciples. But we serve a God who is grace incarnate. The second character in this story is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, who cannot be bound by walls that we erect and the locks that we turn. Jesus Christ, who is greater than our doubt, Jesus Christ, who brings peace in the midst of our terror. When we raise up these walls, Jesus passes through them. When we huddle in fear, Jesus gives us peace. When we feel we cannot possibly go on because it's too difficult, Jesus bears his own wounds, demonstrating his vulnerability. When the call of Jesus has, seems like too much, he breathes his spirit upon us the helper, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to go out into the world and do some of the most terrifying work in the world, to forgive, to bind together. Grace constantly breaks through the world, first in the person of Jesus Christ and then through all of us. I absolutely love that this is the first story that follows the Easter resurrection story because it's exactly who we are as humans and it's exactly who Jesus Christ is as our God. It demonstrates what the resurrected Jesus means in our lives. It means we don't have to live in shame of our shortcomings. We don't have to hide from our own insecurities. We don't have to live in fear of asking questions or doubting. The resurrected Jesus has given us confidence to live as the beloved children of God. I think Jesus gives the disciples five incredible gifts in this passage. And we are these disciples who are endowed with these gifts. First, and perhaps the most importantly, he gifts his presence. The presence of experiencing the resurrected God of the universe. He gives it first to those disciples, then to Thomas, and they see and they believe. They experience the living God. Second, he gives us the gift of peace. This is no ordinary greeting of peace be with you. It's a statement of a transaction that's already happened. Peace has already been given to the disciples. 
Peace in the midst of a life that feels like chaos. Peace in the midst of a world that is full of uncertainty. Peace, shalom, are gifts from God. Third, Jesus gifts his disciples with his breath. The word spirit and breath are the same word. And so the spirit and breath of God come onto the disciples. The Holy Spirit rests on the disciples. And we know what the Holy Spirit does in the world. It gives comfort and care and power and courage to the disciples. And we are these disciples. Fourth, Jesus gifts his disciples with vulnerability. That is his witness, his presence. He demonstrates the wounds he has been given. That even in the midst of any wound that we have, any shortcoming that we have, any scar that we bear, redemption and resurrection are there. Redemption and resurrection are power, more powerful than any pain that we have. And then finally, he gifts us purpose. Purpose to go out in the world, a call, a call to go into the world and to forgive. So often we can boil this story down and call it the story of doubting Thomas. And you know, one, I think that's unfair to Thomas, but two, this is a story about Jesus and the gifts that he gives to his disciples. And we are these Disciples, this is a story about Jesus offering us, offering the church, offering all who follow him the gift, the presence of the living God. Peace in the midst of terror, the Holy Spirit, the unrelenting advocate, Christ's own vulnerability, and a call, and a purpose, and a life that sometimes feels like it's without purpose. So friends, church, we are these disciples. Let us take hold of these precious, precious gifts, and then go out into the world to live our call to forgive and to lift up. Thanks be to God. Amen.